0: Like people, you know, a lot of musicians, you know, they just like to work on their music, which is great. I love doing that too. But like I said earlier, I want to make a living doing this. <laughs> You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis.
1: Hello, thank you for pressing play on this episode, number 47 of Behind the Note Podcast. Do you have a CD release coming in the near future and you want a little guidance and a little help? This is the episode to help you with that, because today's guest just successfully held a CD release party, and we're going to talk to him about what he did well, and we're going to learn about some of his mistakes. It was very successful. I was there myself, actually, and he had well over 200 people at the Jazz Showcase in Chicago, where clearly that room isn't really supposed to hold that many people, and it was a great, great environment, so he did a great job promoting, and not to mention... He really, really killed it on the stage musically as well. So that was great. And so I'm happy to bring to you right now somebody who, in my opinion, is becoming, if not already, is the face of jazz saxophone playing in Chicago. Matter of fact, they use his face to promote the Chicago Jazz Festival on major news networks and on the radio. I'm happy to bring to you my behind-the-note podcast listener, Saxophonist Rajiv Halim. All right, so we have Rajiv Halim on the podcast. I'm so happy to have him. Say hello to everybody, Rajiv. What's
0: up, everybody? How's every, how's well? I can't say how's it going because <laughs> you're not here. But what's up, everybody?
1: Hey, man, don't be over analytical, dude. <laughs> everybody, we're just having a good time. Yes, sir. And uh, I got Rajiv sitting right here in front of me. I love that. Yeah, another in-house guest. So I just introduced you a little bit. In the future. You didn't hear it, but mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And we want to get to know you a little better. For so, sure. what do you like to do when you're not performing music? You heard this question, right? was a subscriber to the show. Yes, sir. And now you're on the show. I know. That's, <laughs> it, this
0: is crazy right now. <laughs> this but, is so yeah.
1: cool. I'm, I'm happy about this myself. So, what do you like
0: to do when you're not playing music? Um, Well, these days it's less and less, especially with the new record, but... I mean I love sports. So I was when I was younger I wanted to be a baseball player. And I strangely enough that's the sport I don't follow that much anymore, baseball. I wanted yeah. to be Sammy Sosa when I was little. Now we have that
1: but, in common, dude. Oh yeah. Because when I was growing up, I lived directly across the street from this huge field. Okay. And the kids in the neighborhood would play baseball every single day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I grew up liking the sport as well i mm-hmm. didn't want to go pro but i love the sport yeah now i don't pay any attention to the major league baseball me neither man at yeah. all and i know we we have something else in common in that we like the chicago bulls oh
0: yes sir yes yeah. sir jimmy butler in the house yeah. buckets
1: so i grew up watching mj uh-huh. did you ever see Michael jordan play i've not not vaguely, talking about
0: youtube uh, no, no no i vaguely remember the 98 Playoffs, sort of i remember my mom and i watching them but i was eight years old so i barely remember that i definitely don't remember the first three beat and i don't really remember the the first two of the second three beat
1: wow see man look at that now do you do you write in cursive
0: i do write in cursive (laughs) i did that's that's one thing i did learn man i know that's a dying
1: art too oh yeah, yeah yeah so um anyway i watched the bulls in 1991 in the play the lakers that was my introduction to basketball when the torch was passed from magic to michael yeah i got to witness that history so that's not why people can to listen to us talk about sports <laughs> but uh we want to get to know you a little bit but you play
0: saxophone yes sir and uh, when did that start for you how long ago it's going on 17 years right now i believe so i started playing sax when i was eight and when did you get into jazz? Because you play jazz now. I think it was like when I was sixteen, like midway through my junior year of high school. Um, it's kind of a funny story. I brought in, and this is—I'm not even going to name artists actually, because I don't want to like offend anybody. Because I actually dig this artist's music now. But I brought in a CD that would be considered more of—we used to have CD reviews. You talking in, about Kenny G? I'm no, sure. no, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm actually not. And I have All much right. respect for that guy now. Good. Um, as you should although my teachers in high school would try to convince me otherwise but i brought in a cd because we used to have cd reviews that was like yeah. part of our jazz band or band uh, criteria and i used to you know bring in whatever cd and one time i brought in a cd of a certain artist that was considered quote-unquote smooth jazz you know we've had this conversation before how i don't like using genres so smooth jazz in quotes yeah and my teacher looked at me he's like what i hope you're not listening to this on the regular and i was like uh no yeah no and, and then he was like here take this and my high school teacher mr bancis at lane tech lane tech high school on the north side of chicago rep 08 no yeah <laughs> but um yeah he had a huge record collection in, in his office every every like other day i would you know he would allow me to take his personal cds And that's kind of crazy that he entrusted me as a 16-year-old with his personal record collection. He's been collecting these CDs for for years, you know? And he would just give me one and say, you know, just make sure you bring it back tomorrow or whenever. Whenever you get it on your computer, bring it back. So he would give me, like, Charlie Parker discs, John Coltrane, Mm. all types of music. And, yeah, the rest, from that point forward, that kind of sparked my interest into uh, studying improvisation.
1: Now, I think he saved you. Let's talk about, this is what I mean, let's talk about the... Uh, smooth jazz. Learning from a smooth jazz CD versus learning from Charlie Parker or Train. Sure. Um, because I I I've seen young students take a liking to smooth jazz, and it's I understand why, because you got that backbeat. Sure. And it's easier easier to grab onto that and understand mm-hmm. that because of what's popular today. Right. But what I witnessed is that they uh, really don't learn the language of jazz when they learn there first. And they don't really develop their sound. Uh period. They don't develop their sound because they're hearing a mixed sound that's
0: right, right, right. quote
1: unquote smooth and it's not really full because you mm-hmm. know it's being processed through the microphone, yada yada yada. Right? Right, right. And right. so then they grow up and they sound they don't have a supported sound. So I try to steer people away from that. Mm-hmm. To learn. Not you know Yes, yes, yes. To learn how to play, I try to steer people away from that. It sounds like that's what your teacher was doing. Sounds like that's what he was trying to do
0: as well. I yeah. I've never really analyzed that situation other than the fact that he took me from less improvised music to more improvised music. But that is right. true. That is true. The sound, because, I mean, it depends on who you're looking at. If you're looking at like a guy like Kirk Whalum or Gerald Albright or somebody who clearly has a huge um, improvised or improvised music foundation. Right. You know, Gerald Albright.
1: Foundation is the key word. Hey, man, that is a key word, and I've been <laughs>
0: using it quite a bit lately. But, yes. uh, you know, Gerald, you can hear Cannonball all over him. Kirk, you can exactly. hear Train all over him. You can hear Sonny Rollins all over him. Right. And it reflects in their sound. Yes. So even when they're playing pop music, which, by the way, I don't call it smooth jazz. I call it instrumental pop because that's, that's what it is. That's good. You know what I'm saying? We're playing instruments, and it's popular. <laughs> that's, so that's, right. that's the So really, that's the genre term. Right. Jazz, right. to me, would be called instrumental improvised music. That's good. And That's that can range is. from yeah. free music to Louis Armstrong, from one end of the spectrum to the other. So, yeah. But back to the 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 quote unquote smooth thing. Um, yeah, I don't feel like to really understand sound. Not only is listening to more of the older cats key, but you know, studying with a good teacher who can actually guide you that way. Right. But exactly. just if you didn't have a teacher, I guess just listening to. The older cats, I hate using that term, but like the, the, peop- the, the, people, the, who the people who came who before us, the, created pa- the, the pavers, yes. listening to them alone. If you didn't have a DJ, I think listening to them alone would help develop your sound better than if you were only listening to pop music. That's know? true.
1: And it's easier to go from traditional music to today's music, 21st century. Agreed. And, and, you, and you, can't, you can't do it the other way around. Which is the reason you can, it's, but it's, it's a lot harder. It's so much harder. So it's the reason I try to steer young people from that. So I, I think I understand what your teacher was. Because actually, there's
0: a there's a Branford Marsalis interview where he mm-hmm. talks about this, but not not smooth versus like straight ahead, to use those terminologies. Um, he talks about it from a classical music standpoint to jazz, and he says, you know, you know, Branford has you know a pretty long career playing classical music, and there was an interview where they asked him. If you, you know, how how is it going between the genres? And he was like, well, for me, it wasn't hard because I've been listening to all this stuff, everything. There's an entire palette of this stuff. For kids that come up strictly playing classical music, that's all they listen to is what he was saying. They only listen to classical music. So for them to cross over to pop or cross over to jazz or whatever, it might be a little weird because they've never really been listening to that music. But somebody like Branford you know, who's been getting musical influences from his father and other other people like his father for, you know, since he was a baby. It's different because his musical listening palette is way bigger. So ideally you'd be listening to everything because if you look at, I have a list on my iPod called My Favorites. If you go through that list, it goes from country music to reggae, calypso, Caribbean music, to jazz, to blues. And to me, it's just all good music. I just like listening to it because it's all good, so...
1: Now before we start recording, you were telling me a little bit about your family history. You, you said you're mixed right. So well tell us uh, really quick what, what you were talking about.
0: Sure. and I mean, I guess that philosophy kind of ties into the whole music thing and not really thinking about genres either. I don't really believe in categories to begin with. Now I don't I don't know how deep we'll dive into that whole route, but to be more superficial about my genetic and ethnic background basically so my family, my family comes from Belize in Central America, as you know, but I don't think anybody else knows that maybe listening to this. yeah. But uh, they come from Belize in Central America, which is a very diverse country in terms of complexions and ethnic backgrounds and the way people look. So to me, every time I go to Belize, when I see people down there and how everybody, whether it's like there's like white people down there, there's Asian people down there, there's people who look more like... Native American people down there, there's black people down there, there's there's uh, mixes of people down there as well. So when I see all these people coming together, and I talked to my dad about this, like, you know, was there racism coming up when you were a kid? And he was like, no, everybody was just Belizean, and we all spoke the same English Creole. Some of us spoke Spanish, some some of us spoke English, and we just all blended together. And every time I see that, it makes me when I think about racism in general, and I was brought up in that way. Um, My mom has all Indian background. All her descendants are from India. And actually, Rajiv is an Indian name. So that's where that comes from. And my dad, like I was telling you, he has African blood and then like Spanish and native blood. And by Spanish, I mean European. So technically you could say I'm part white as well. You know, like there's everything like my complexion wouldn't resemble being part white, but there's everything in me. So when I see that and I see myself existing now, I'm kind of taking this down that other philosophical route. I don't really believe in racism. Then I don't believe in race. Everybody's just if 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 there's racism and if that's real, then I shouldn't exist. I don't. I consider myself a citizen of the world. I'm just a citizen of a world, of the world, and I'm a citizen and a student to all music. To tie this back into you know, the <laughs> first question,
1: so. that's good. Right on. All right. So we're going to talk about your CD now. You just yes, have. Let's do that. You have a new release.
0: Yes, sir. What is it called? My debut release. This debut. Is, uh, yes. This uh, new CD I just made last month. Six weeks ago, we recorded it. That's crazy to think about. Now
1: um, we're recording this. It's the end of August right now.
0: Actually, it might have been seven weeks then. So. In
1: in, uh, I hate dating the show, but it's the end of August, right? Twenty fifteen, right? So it's been about about six seven, or seven weeks seven since weeks. I recorded
0: it, and it's already out. Some people were some people actually some of my friends had a bet as to whether or not I would get the record out on time.
1: So oh, <laughs> see now we're going to talk about that. Now what is it called now?
0: The CD's called Foundation.
1: Okay, so I like what you did. Um, i I was watching your progression, and uh, just want to talk about it because, you know, I talked, we we Rajiv and I play in bands together, and he's been saying, "I'm going to put out a record. I want to do this." I've been I'm saying that for like record. six years, man. Yeah, but recently you said, "Hey, I'm having a CD release party," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, I put the date on my calendar." Yeah. And then I saw it on Facebook and that was a great reminder. And so tell us about the process. What did you do first? Well, after you wrote the tunes, um, when did you record and take us through the process? What what did you
0: do? Right. So the process of recording, like I said, this is my debut, so it was very it was very new to me. I mean, I've recorded many CDs in the past, including your C D that just came out. That's right. So I've seen the process, you know. The first like CD in a studio I made, I think, was back in two thousand nine, with the uh, with the Brothers Jazz Orchestra, and that was my first experience in like a legitimate studio. So I've been recording off and on for like six years, you know, but I'd never seen it from a band leader standpoint and how much more work it is from a band leader standpoint. Like, I mean, and the work hasn't stopped. The record came out five days ago, and you know, the work is just beginning. So I got a call in April. I think it was late April, um, from the Jazz Institute of Chicago telling me, hey, we've got a slot for you at the Chicago Jazz Festival. You know, Friday, September 4th at noon, you can take that slot if you'd like it. And I said, well, of course. And I have been, like, I wrote a lot of songs when I was in college for a couple years, When I graduated, you know, other things happened and I just kind of, I would like, you know, record little ideas into my phone and stuff. But I wouldn't, I had never finished a complete song since about 2010. And so when I got that call to play the festival, I said, you know what, that's it. Enough procrastination. You're going to get this record done. I had four tunes at the time that we'd been playing since 2009. So I had four tunes and I knew I wanted to get eight or nine on on the CD. So I knew I had about two months to finish writing everything else. And it was pretty easy. And I guess we can go into, like, the whole thought process behind writing music later if we if we touch on that. But it was easy for me because I already had a theme in mind, foundation, meaning um, family members. You know, I want to relate everything back to things that have built me up to my, my uh, point in my career thus far, right? And one pivotal thing for me is my family, no doubt, my sisters and my mom and my dad. So half the CD is actually a tribute to them so the songs i still had my two songs that were written for my sister to write and so i had not or for both of my sisters rather and i had not touched either of them yet so in in may i had not i still didn't have any ideas for those songs the last song i actually wrote the last song like 3 days before the recording session so it was very rushed but yeah what, yeah.
1: what was the name of that song so we can hear it when we buy your CD
0: called um, uh, Slim, which is the third track, which also has okay. another meaning behind that one. It's It's got kind of like a more of a calypso, some people say Afro beat, but I was going for more of a calypso feel on that one, which is tribute to my parents' home country of Belize and the music I've been listening to since I was a baby. My dad's been playing Belizean music in the house and other Caribbean music since I was a baby. So that tributes to my younger sister, mm-hmm. the middle child in my family, and... And my parents' home country, and then the other tune, the other tune for my baby sister is actually called Baby Bop,
1: which uh, has yes. nothing to
0: do with the Barney character, Baby Bop. Okay, but she's the baby, and the music, you know, it's part of the music that I'm that has influenced me is Bebop, so Baby Bop. Wow, that's you know. good.
1: So, the, yeah. so you were contacted by Jazz Institute, and right. then around May you finished writing.
0: Mm-mm. Oh, I didn't finish writing till July. Like, All right, everything was completed in July. Wow. Okay. Well, everything was completed by July. Let's put it that way. Okay. Yeah.
1: So after you, well, take us through the process. So then what happened around that, around
0: so that point? So immediately upon getting the jazz, or the jazz festival gig, I knew I had to set everything up right then and there. So that from the moment I said, all right, the record's getting done. Enough procrastination. The record's getting done. From that point forward, I knew I had to set all the dominoes up and just knock them down. And there were some there were some hiccups towards the end of the process which actually really scared the mess out of me because and I'll maybe I'll tell you about the story at the end of this 6 days before the CD release party I still didn't have my CDs and the ones they sent me actually had an error on them. So oh. I have a entire an entire uh, uh delivery of CDs that are all missing a track. But let me I'm skipping a little forward so Oh my so we get the gig and I'm you know I finish, I start finishing the tunes and so I I set right after that I set the recording date. So I called Shirk Studios, Steve Shirk, and I said, "Hey man, um, I'd like to record my record." As a matter of fact, I think I just did, just done a session there like the week prior to getting that gig. Or like maybe a month prior And I just You know I approached them Because I really like the studio I'd record there a couple times Marquise Hills recorded His last record there Quentin Coxum recorded a record there um, Bobby Brooms recorded a record there I believe So a lot and of these are all
1: Chicago musicians For right, so those right, who right. don't know
0: A lot of reputable Chicago musicians That I know and, and are friends with Have done their records there And I asked all of them for advice And they said Yeah this is a great studio You know It'd be great if you did it there So I approached Steve And we set that date Which was July 6th and 7th now, that's, you know, keep Two in mind, today is, today is August 30th, right? So that was barely seven weeks ago.
1: Wow. So July 6th and 7th, you recorded. How, how long were your days scheduled to be? Ten-hour
0: days. Okay. Two ten-hour days. So we did the 6th and the 7th, and um, a great engineer uh, named Freddie Breitberg, he recorded the record, and I set it up with him so that the 8th, we were mixing eighth ninth tenth was it was scheduled to be the eighth and the ninth as mixing sessions and the tenth would be the mastering session however that did not work out like that we didn't finish mastering the record until the 27th i want to say or the 26th but you
1: started on time
0: oh we started, you started on the
1: started mastering on the tenth you mixed yeah. on the eighth and the ninth we
0: mixed on the eighth that probably was on schedule nah we didn't stop mixing until because it was i'm a perfectionist okay so Every little thing, there were things that Freddie was not hearing, and I was like, not that right there, we have to fix that. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, let's fix that. And every time we'd slow it down, he'd hear it, and then we'd go ahead and fix it. It took me a little longer than I expected because of that little quirk of my character, I guess. But I mean, it's a good, it's a good thing, but it can also kind of hold you back if you, don't, if you don't control it, you know?
1: Well, it slows, you, it slows down the progression of your work. Mm-hmm. However, you, you do have a, a product out. It's out today. Mm-hmm. And that's good. So there's some there's some pros and cons.
0: I mean, it's it slowed me down, but I didn't really have too much time. That's why I needed to be like, all right, let's let's move, Rajiv. Stop stop being a perfectionist. So that's
1: you know? that's the lesson to learn there. But also, Definitely. at the same time, you have a great product out, and it's complete. I would say so. I've listened so, to it
0: about fifty times myself, and yeah. I you know you hear the flaws in your own playing and your yes. own writing, but. I I'm not sick of it yet, you
1: know. Now I want to say something about this. Uh, there's for people who listen to podcasts. I know you guys have heard this so many times, but for those who are fairly new, or if you only listen to this show, they say if you if you if you're, if your if your product is perfect, then you waited too long to release it. So the concept mm-hmm. is that you basically leave some room for growth. Number two, don't procrastinate by trying to be perfectionist, and that's it, you know. So you don't. Well, actually, as I'm talking, I realized that i pretty much am uh, guilty of this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. true. I, I kept I kept texting you from time to time, like, "Hey man, uh, when's your CD Yeah,
1: everybody, out? everybody close to me said, "Hey man, what, what's the deal with your with your CD?" Yeah. So, um, good lesson to learn here. So the the recording went according to plan you, you did that right. in two
0: days the recording was perfect at that point i was like yes this is going as planned ha, 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 now yes. how did you divide those 10 hour days um you know it was kind of an interesting story man so i made a little bit of an idiotic move a kind of a foolish move the night before and i was tired of writing and setting everything up so i was like you know what i'm just gonna hang out with some friends and have some fun tonight and i went and played some basketball with a friend of mine now that was very dumb it didn't harm me so much, but it scared me because you were drained physically. Is I was drained physically, but not only that. I mean, as you know, we we play instruments that require. Did you jam your finger? I did not ball? jam my finger. What happened, Ranzi? I My okay. So I was I was going up for a layup, and I faked one way, went back because I thought I threw my guy off, and he was going to follow me back. And when I went back the same way, he stuck his arm out, and and my as I was going up for the layup, his arm his arm hit me right across the lip. Uh, now if I was a trumpet player, I would have been screwed cuz gotcha. I had a big bump on my lip right here. I for see. the entire first day. Ah. I and see. but luckily for me, I'm a sax player, so you know, I can I can still yeah. you know fit things fit my mouth, my mouthpiece in the embouchure correctly. It was a little it was a little weird and uncomfortable, but it worked out. And then on top of that, I didn't go to sleep early enough. I was up talking to somebody and I probably should have ended that conversation a little early, or you know, gotcha. went to sleep. Yeah. So I didn't get a lot of sleep. I had a little bump on my lip and all this, and the first day kind of reflected all of that. I we see. did keep, we did keep the fourth track and the second track tra- track from that, and and the eighth track as well. So we kept hard worker featuring Marquise, we kept Pasa Tiempo, which is the fourth track and then we kept Donna Lee from that Now, day. how
1: many how many tracks total are on the album?
0: There's 9 tracks and okay, then there's so that 10th track on the iTunes. So
1: you right kept out nine 3 out of 3 from out of 3 out of 10 first day. 3 out of, three ten. Out of ten. 10 from the first day. And how did you divide those 10 hours? Did you did you go in with the schedule? Oh
0: yeah. Yeah, so everything so was scheduled. Like was. I said I had to I had to make sure that this thing was planned <laughs> out from the time I, you know, figured it out. So we went in and Marquise was gracious enough to come in first and early and we did his two tunes first That was hard worker and pasatiempo. tempo. So we knocked out both of those at the beginning And then right after that a mentor of mine who I was very privileged to have on the record mr. R.E. Brown. He came and did his track after that And actually he was even more gracious the next day because we re-recorded his track the next day And that was not scheduled originally and that was not scheduled. Okay, exactly so I had to I actually called him that morning the second day on the morning, I was like, "Hey re is there any chance you could come back in?" And he he found a way to give me an hour, and we got it done. But anyway, his his track was second on the first day, and then I think we took a little break after that and had lunch, and then we came back and recorded Donna Lee for three takes or something like that. It was also a little. Luckily, Freddie was able to get into the studio early and set up mics the Friday before our session because our and session was on Monday, should. Tuesday. And that yeah. was great. You know, Steve, yeah. Steve allowed him to do that. There was no sessions on the weekend before. So he said, yeah, you can come in Friday and set things up for a couple hours. So that was cool. So we didn't lose too much time on the setup. Um, only thing that had to be set up that they were videos. Uh, I had a filmographer and his crew come in, and they filmed some videos that will be released eventually of some of the songs from the studio. Now let's pause right there. Sure. Where did you find your videographers? And who are they? It's a friend of mine named Nick Collins who has um, a company called Twin Visuals. He actually just moved to L.A. also, just like um, my radio promo guy. So everybody's moving to L.A. for some reason. I don't know if that's a sign or something. But, yeah, he just moved to L.A. And I've known I've known Nick since about 2009. Um, okay. He did the first video for a band called Kids These Days that I was in. Him and uh, so a friend you... of mine, Gregory Bucereth, who's still one of my best friends to this day. He, uh, him, he was working with Nick at the time, or Nick was working with him rather, and you know we met Nick. Actually, strangely enough, we met Nick on the Blue Line one night, wow. super late, random, and yeah, we, you know, I've, he's been a friend of mine ever since then. So. so
1: you were with you worked with him before, right? You right, know right. his work, you know the quality of his work, exactly. And you hired him for your project, exactly. I just wanted to get a sense of this timeline because it's important for people who've never done this before to know that you need to go in with some kind of a schedule. I I had a schedule in my mind. I didn't write it down. Mm-hmm. We did go according to what I planned in my mind for my record. Right. How many days did we record? One. One Wasn't day. It? Yeah, it was one day. see we did one, one day? I think it was uh, five or six hours. That was a quick process, and, man. Man, we did the whole the thing. Whole record, yeah. I didn't know any better. Yeah. See, you were smart for scheduling two days. Yeah. I.
0: And honestly, I actually wish I had scheduled three. Yeah. Because there was a. Th- I would have felt better if we could have went in and did a couple more takes on the third day of of a couple tunes, you know, super relaxed and you know just.
1: Now the relaxed part is a big deal, but then I think you kind of uh, possibly get back into that procrastination. Maybe. It's true. It depends you know, on your timeline if you yeah, have Yeah, it, it. it does. So I messed up because I, I didn't plan for lunch. Duh. I totally <laughs> didn't plan for lunch. Yeah. I knew we'd eat, but when were we are going to eat, Chris? You know, yeah. I, I didn't plan for that. Yeah. And then somebody mentioned, I don't remember who it was, hey, man, can we take a quick break? And yeah, I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Forgot about that. Of course. You know, so yeah. I messed up, and please learn from my mistake, I messed up because- um we didn't we didn't listen to playback that day, if you remember.
0: Mm-hmm. We just went straight through We went yeah. straight
1: through from tune to tune and you can never really hear everything like that. Right. And we stopped and we ate lunch, which would have been a perfect time to listen to playback. I didn't do that. A huge mistake on my part. And after the fact, after everybody recorded and had gone home, mm-hmm. you know, I listened in the car for the first time mm-hmm. and I heard some things that I didn't like. And other things I did like, of course. Some of those songs, we only did one take. And a a couple of, and on other songs, we we did two takes. And only on the title track, actually, we only, that's all we did. We got up to two takes max. That was Mm. it. And so I was forced to make a decision between two tracks on some cases. Right, right. So that's the downside to having... One day like I did mm-hmm. And then um, You did the smart thing Schedule a couple of days I mean I, I, so, it,
0: it depends on A multitude of factors You know It depends yeah. on your budget It depends on budget The is time huge. The, the schedule of the studio Depends on your schedule If you your musicians That's true You know Depending on how Busy your cats are If they can get into the studio That day or not You
1: know Yeah budget is huge That's That actually kept me From going back
0: mm-hmm. Because I
1: pers- I paid everything Out of pocket And I wanted to I wanted to pay everybody well and I didn't want to say hey will you do me a favor and come back that's that's something I probably need to get over cuz mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure everybody would have done that if I asked them.
0: Oh yeah. But <laughs> I would have <Yeah, laughs> that's but, my perfectionism coming yeah, out again right there.
1: But I didn't do that and yeah. I could have. Um okay enough about me. Sorry about that. No, you're no. you're There's the, things to learn from everybody. Yeah, you're you're the you're the future guest. Now we were talking about expenses, if you were called in April and you weren't even planning, to, how did you work that out? The I mean, money?
0: Yes. This is kind of, uh, actually, this kind of directly reflects to the album theme. So my dad and I, We. I mean, he's not a musician or he's never played a, a musical instrument in his life, but he loves music. And, you know, for a while, they, my parents, when I say they, they didn't want me to go the route of a musician, which is actually... Sort of a smart thing. Understandable you know like, from a parent. Understandable from a parent standpoint, Standpoint, definitely. So for a while they were pushing me to um, pursue uh, another route. When I was in high school, I was a big science head. I was a geek. I was a, well, not a geek. I was a nerd. That's what I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm still a nerd to this day, except now it's music. But um, yeah, when I went to college at first, I was a chemical engineering major. So I thought I was going to go that route and maybe go eventually and be a doctor or something like this. But after a while, I would go to science class and then I would go straight to the practice room and not come out until it was time to go home. So I started kind of failing classes and stuff. And my dad was like, look, I'm paying for this stuff. But if you want if you want to go do music, I'm not going to pay for it. I'll let you do that, but I'm not going to pay for it. And so luckily for me, the school I was at was had a pretty small music program and they were able to offer me a full ride. So. I got that that uh, scholarship and went that route. But my dad, from that point forward, kind of realized, you know, he's going to try to, you know, do this as a career. So maybe I should, and this is a great thing on his part, maybe I should help him set up some sort of business um, name or whatever, you know. So he, he helped me set up my production company, you know, and register with the city and stuff like that. So him and I have had that production company as a name functioning and getting paid through gigs and stuff like that through that name for since 2011 so and he he's the sort of like acts as a co-founder from a financial standpoint so one thing that helped me out was that I had my parents backing not in you know literal money but to be able to secure some type of a loan etc etc so first the first way I ended up getting funding was through a a friend of my dad's who's uh, actually a native Belizean as well who lives here in Chicago Mm -hmm. And he heard about my project, and he said, he approached my dad and said, "Let me know how I can help you and so my dad said, "Hey, man, I've got a friend who you know might want to help you fund this project." So he actually was the catalyst that made made uh made the first part of the project happen, such as like buying ticket for a ticket for Marquise to fly in, buying a ticket for Michael Powell to to come in, securing the studio deposit. But I I was kind of adamant about not going the Kickstarter or IndieGoGo route. But I was I actually had a video made up. We had a video, everything ready to go if I needed to go that way. But basically through my business name, we went to the bank and we you know laid out what we were trying to do, and I was able to secure a loan, which is a very risky way to go. But it also. Um, to me, it gives me more of a drive to sell the CD and get it out there because one, I need to make the money back to pay the loan off, but two, I mean, I've I've always been into promotion. So, amateurly, I'm not any type of promoter or anything like that yet, but I've always been into promotion and trying to, you know, I, I want to make a want to make a living being as as a musician, so I have to make some money, so I have to promote myself. Now, you know? this is man, so it was is, a, it was a bank loan, basically, is how I got it got it through. You're talking about
1: promotion and. This is what we talk about in the past. We've talked about this in the past. Mm -hmm. Now, in the modern, this modern day for the musician, we have to do many things Oh yeah, to earn a living as a musician. One of those things can be promoting. Now, any of these tasks we can hire out, but there are things that we're going to have to learn how to do on our own, and promoting is one of them. And so I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about the actual day of the cd release concert Mm -hmm. you sold out the place now your concert was at the jazz showcase in chicago and that's not a small room no if you've been to chicago in the 90s that jazz showcase was a small room this place now they closed for a few years right right. open back up this place holds a few hundred people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know how many exactly,
0: by the uh, way? The fire code, I actually checked this. This was like part of the screening of the whole place. I mean, I've been playing there for, since 2009, so I, I, knew, I knew what it was, but I checked just to make sure, you know, to see how much, you know, if my expected audience would fit. And I think the fire code said 150 on the wall, but I fit more than 150 people.
1: It was up. way more than 150 people in that place.
0: You know, I don't know if saying it this kind of puts the showcase on, you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, on so the, let's on the hot let's,
0: coals, but <laughs> let's just
1: call it two hundred people. Yeah,
0: it was it was it was two hundred people. At, in there. Wayne at least Wayne did not people. let any pe- any more people in after a while. Wayne Siegel, the yeah, owner of the there show, there
1: was case. no room.
0: Yeah, there was no room. You had, were standing in the back. You so.
1: had at least two hundred people, at least in the in the jazz showcase yeah, yeah. for a CD release party sure. on a Tuesday night, on a Tuesday, Tuesday night. The club was going up on a Tuesday, on a Tuesday as night. As
0: at, uh, one song says. So
1: yeah. I, I shot a, a video. I'm going to put it on YouTube. And mm-hmm. I want to direct people to this podcast episode from it. Sure. Um, but tell us about the process of coming to that, of, of selling out
0: that room. Right. So like I said, there's that whole hustle thing. I don't know, like a lot of self-doubt over the last few years, especially not having the project out kind of held me back in certain ways from really promoting the way I would like to but I've always had this promoting bug in me I'm like all right the show is set let me promote the mess out of this and get people in here that's always if 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 I'm sitting down at the piano and writing or at my horn or if I'm shedding it's all about music but the moment I put those those things down all I'm thinking about all the time literally is promoting tactics and things I've read or studied and trying to formulate it into my like master plan and see how I can get this to work you know so that's always in the back of my mind. So from the time my first gig at the Jazz Showcase, actually, which is kind of full circle that the record was released there, my first gig as a band leader was April 19th, 2010. From that day forward, I realized the people that come to my show, and this was prior to having the record for, you know, having something for them to take home, the people that come to my show will not remember me Unless I connect with them in some way unless I keep in touch with them unless I stay connected with them some way. So started something simple an email list everybody does that you know and I actually built that email list to almost up to 900 people now Now you started this in 2010 10 right okay and for a couple of years I wasn't really playing with my band so I wasn't really collecting as many emails or getting connected with people. I've built that up over the last over like two years and then probably over the last six months. And so I've kept that list going. Um, Another thing I started was, started doing, I think I did this. What show did I do? I don't remember. Maybe it was 2012. I started printing up flyers.
1: Okay. Let me interrupt you for a second. Okay. And we're going to come right back to the flyers. What was your method for collecting email addresses? What did you do?
0: So at first, and I've actually just edited this this process within the last week with the CD coming out. But originally I would just have literally a paper, put it on a clipboard. And I would, this is the hustle and the investment part. Small investment, but if you're getting paid $100 for a gig, this part could take a little bit out of that money, you know? So I would hire friends to come and do this for me. I wouldn't do it myself. Because as a performer, when you're doing a gig, and I re-experienced this last Tuesday, again, especially if you have a sold-out house like that, you don't have time to be dealing with an email list. You don't have time to be selling CDs. You don't have time for anything except for the music and saying hello to people. And connecting with people, you know, that's all you have time for. So I started hiring friends, you know, I'd be like, you know, here's 20 bucks, here's $30, 40, whatever, come for an hour. I think for a while I had it where like, um, I would give them like 10 bucks to show up and then as many emails as they would collect, you get a dollar for that, you know? So sometimes my friends would come and get 40 emails. So they get 50 bucks, 50 bucks for the night. The more emails they get, the more money they get. I might actually go back to that route. That's, that's that, that was a very effective route because I, most most of my email list was built up using that route. I might have to try that route, right Yeah, here. yeah. So, um, yeah. So, at first, it was just paper. And then, then I started getting these little, like, information cards printed up. Like, here's my website, Facebook, Twitter, all this type of stuff. And I'd pass those out at gigs. That was semi-effective. And now I just Hold bought on. an iPad and I collect them.
1: So with that card method, mm-hmm. you would give somebody a card,
0: like mm-hmm. like a business card. Not a business card. It's bigger. It's more like a flyer, like a plugger, like a three by five. I ch- I think the ones I passed out for this gig were a five by six. So they were like, you know.
1: Okay. So then it nice would be up to them to go to the computer when they get home
0: and sign up. Exactly. Which, which, you know, you're giving them a piece of paper so it's less likely that they'll forget you unless they lose the paper or they drop it. So I'm actually trying to, like, formulate some better plans right now in terms of promoting so that I can get them to sign, I mean we have technology now, we have smartphones, to get them to be able to sign up right there on the spot.
1: Yes, now you're using iPad now, so what
0: what are you using for that? So I use ConstantContact.com Maybe maybe I should get like a
1: Constant Contact uh, Do you need to be connected to the web at the jazz club or wherever you're performing to input a new name? That's exactly
0: what I did. That's the one little thing that kind of is weird. I mean, most smartphones have a personal hotspot on them, so you can literally turn on your personal hotspot and, you know, it yeah. goes against your data plan, but you can use that to connect to the internet if you're using the iPad route, unless you have an app that will collect emails for you.
1: Now, there but. is an app, and I right now I cannot remember what it is, so I'm asking my listener go on Twitter at Behind the Note and tell me what that app is sure. so we all can use it. Yeah, I can use it. And then I can put it on. This uh, show note page, and everybody can have access to it. So now you were talking about flyers, and then I cut you off. So you use flyers to promote
0: the front side of the flyer. I'm actually working on getting another flyer printed up right now, which, would, which I just call the general flyer, general promo flyer. But the ones I made for the show had the front side um, advertising the show. Just said, you know, the date of the show, the address, the time, the cover charge, whatever, whatever. And then the back side said, follow Rajiv on all these whatever, whatever. So Sonic Bids, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, my website. You know, sign up on the email to set my website, blah, 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 blah. So those flyers, I had 2,500 of them printed up. And to be honest, the place was sold out for the first set, but I don't think I promoted it that well. And I was actually kicking myself for like the, for actually I've, I've been kicking myself since then for not, passing out all the flyers.
1: Oh, that's a good point because the Jazz Showcase sells the first set which started at 8, eight, eight p.m. and then uh, second set is at 10.30, uh, ten, 10 o'clock. 30, ten o'clock. Ten o'clock. Mm-hmm.
0: So you have two... Concerts. Right. Two ninety minutes, which can be a which can be a drain, you know, and it really was. It was tiring. You
1: but know? you could have potentially sold four hundred seats instead of two hundred.
0: Exactly. Exactly my right. point. You know, okay. I was satisfied, like yes, I got two hundred people or more into the first set. Yeah, that was great. But the second set was about eighty percent full, seventy five percent full. That's great too, but me being a perfectionist and me never being satisfied, I was like, dang, I have 1200 flyers that i didn't pass out still
1: now where are you passing these
0: flyers out everywhere anyone i meet uh well that was kind of my goal towards the end of of passing them out but prior to that i would like look at the get the calendar and see where where were the music events and then again i would hire somebody to go out with me and we just pass them out as a team and i did i did mess up on the last week before the concert where um, if you're in Chicago, you know that Millennium Park has the Made in Chicago festival last week of July through the jazz, through the jazz festival the first week of uh, September. And they have these big concerts in Millennium Park every Thursday leading up to that. And so the Thursday before my concert, I was like, I told my little sister, I was like, all right, let's go out there and we're going to pass these out. But me being uh, the consistent napper that I am, I took a nap that afternoon and didn't wake up till about seven o'clock. And it was starting to kick myself when I realized, wait, I can still get out there for the end of the concert and pass them out then. But by the time I got out there, it was a little too late. And I was planning on getting rid of all 1,200 of them. I was just going to go crazy. Now, the stat that I've heard is that 10% of the people you connect with are actually going to connect back with you and remain a follower. Me, I'm like crazy crazy ambitious and this is also probably another perfectionist quirk but i'm like you know what i'm not even gonna say 10 percent. i'm gonna say one percent so to make myself work even harder so my goal you know in the future as i'm starting to plan the tours around the cd my my uh my goal is to get a thousand committed followers in every city that i'm in so if i need a thousand followers and that's one percent of the people i've connected with that means i need to pass out 100,000 flyers in every city I'm in approximately, you know. So there's a lot of work to be done.
1: You're going to definitely need a team.
0: Oh yeah. A street and team. That's exactly what yeah. I'm like formulating right now trying to save money. Money is key. Like people, you know, a lot of musicians, you know, they just like to work on their music, which is great. I love doing that too. But like I said earlier, I want to make a living doing this. So I I actually and this is a lot of, this is the case for a lot of other artists as well i'm actually an uber driver right now i don't want to drive for uber anymore but it's like almost half of my income every month you know what i'm saying so if and it's it's actually it's got its purpose right now it's helping me save money so you know in the spring when i actually execute the tour i confront front a lot of the costs knowing that i'll get that money back on the back end you know what i'm saying or approximating what i'll get back and doing that. So, you, as as a musician, you always have to be. To me, I've realized this over the last two months doing the process of the of making the album. To me, I think you always have to be at least a year ahead of yourself. And right now, I'd say probably I'm a month ahead of myself. So I'm trying to build up, you know, figuring out where I'm going to be next August. You know, next September, next Jazz Fest. Am I am I going to be producing another record at that point? Am I going to be touring? Where am I going to be touring? Am I going to need a street team? How am I going to get that out there? Now, like I've said, like we said before we started doing this, or like I said before we started doing this, I don't have any experience doing this yet. But I find that, oh, well, I don't know. I don't want to speak for other musicians out there, but from the people, from the bulk of the musicians that I know, not everybody is thinking like this. So you have to have this type of mentality first before you actually... Have the you know if you're not thinking like this, and how are you going to know to put this this plan into effect? So maybe fifty episodes from now, you can have me back, and I'll be like, hey, Chris, I got the actual stats oh, yeah. now, I can show you what happened.
1: You yeah, you, well, you're you're definitely going to be back here. This
0: is this is great. Uh, was there anything else done for promotion? There were some radio spots that I got with WDCB. Now, see this this is this is a lesson, a big lesson I learned, and this is this is going to require me to kick my procrastination, bad habit and take on two good habits that I've struggled with basically my entire life, not just through music, which is balancing and disciplining having the discipline to set a schedule and stick to that schedule and having the I guess the discipline as well to keep that schedule balanced, so like I said, I planned this out three months ago to get the record done and it's done now, but some of the tunes I wrote five, six years ago You know, so why didn't I record the record three years ago or something like that? You know, so next time when I come back to this, um, my current plan is to start writing for the second record. And actually, I have like three record ideas on the table that I'm like trying to sort through musically and see which one I want to tackle first. But I think I want to do like a second original record first before I tackle these other projects. And I want to give myself a year to write and then a year to plan out the process. And once I finish writing, this is where like, my brain's going to have to function that whole year in advance thing. Once I finish writing that record's worth of material, I want to start writing the next one immediately while, while planning the second one in this case. So I'd, I'd, be, I'd be writing for the third while planning for the second.
1: I understand what you mean. You know? Now let me so, interrupt you here and al- sure. along the same uh, lines of thinking here. Just know this. Always create, Period. Period. Definitely. Always create. So you're going to always yeah. be writing and you should always be recording. Mm-hmm. For example, both of us right now, you, I'm looking on my table here. I see your Zoom H4N recorder. Yes, sir. So, and I have my role in here. You know, so we have recording gear, but on a, on occasion, you can take it a step further if you like. You don't have to. Now, this Zoom recorder, for example, Cooks out great recordings. I know you tested it. Man, it sounds like we're trying to get an
0: affiliation deal or something like that. (laughs) Hey, that's a great idea. Hey, we had that conversation (laughs) one time too, remember? You were
1: going to continue after we stopped recording. Um, (laughs) So, for example, my point is always create. So create recordings, and it doesn't always have to be perfect in, in the sense of studio quality, putting out all of the thousands of dollars, because we have the technology to allow us to put in gr- good recordings now. we learned that from Shannon Curtis, okay. a former guest here. She sells her recordings on tour uh, in a similar way. And, of course, she still does the studio recordings, too. Mm-hmm. So my point is that we're always creating. And in the future, it will allow us to have more merchandise to sell. Yes, and, sir. Yep. And then it goes back to the statement we made earlier of if you if your project is perfect, you waited too long to release it. So mm-hmm. the whole process is a learning experience, and along the way, you're
0: getting better. Definitely, yeah. So, yeah. okay, good point. No, I, I mean, I agree with you yeah. 100% because we had just recorded the record, but um, I was planning to Zoom record the CD concert anyway, which I actually didn't. But because I didn't do it, because my engineer that night, I hired an engineer to come in and run the sound, which is another thing you want to make sure. If if I could, I would hire him every time. Not only because he's he's a friend of mine, and not only because he does good work, but because you always want to sound right. You don't you don't want to. Your sound is your presentation. So if your sound is you know kind of flimsy or isn't balanced, correct. You're selling, you're, you won't sell as much product, or you're selling something that is not really re- representing you. So, but anyway, that's a kind of a tangent. He recorded the set for me. And then actually, you recorded part of the set too. So, yeah, sure did. You know, I wish I, I had, had to actually... to take some of
1: your licks, man. <laughs> you have Victor Garcia playing. Uh, I gotta take uh, some yeah, of your stuff.
0: That's the man you need to take some <laughs> stuff from. But anyway, I have recordings of that night, you know, so I could put that up on like SoundCloud or something. You know, there was a couple mm-hmm. tunes where I said, wow, that I, I felt like that one actually turned out well. I haven't listened. I actually haven't listened. I think I listened to the first tune, but I haven't really listened to anything else. So you, you can put those out as if, if not to sell, you can put it out to promote yourself even more.
1: You yeah, know? giveaways to your email list. The exactly. 900 people like here's, on your list. here's
0: a live mixtape type. Oh, of you thing,
1: guys you know? missed the concert. I'm sorry you missed it, but here's a track from the night. Exactly. And yeah. you can still buy the recording. Yeah. See, yeah. you're you're doing good. Yes, sir. So um you brought up again, you brought up another point I wanted to touch on. Now one more time though, just wanna give you one more opportunity. So you had the email list, the flyers, and a radio spot right. to tell people to come to your show. Right, and was there anything else?
0: Actually, the point I was trying to make earlier when I said I want to plan things out more in advance, I would be trying to get previews in, in like publications, online publications, physical publications. Somebody was in contact with me about previewing my album to get more people to come out. So there's, there's a lot more routes that I could have went down to like figure now, things out.
1: Okay, so you had, you had. Uh, Sound engineer, record, and mm-hmm. I noticed you also had photographers there. Yes. Oh, so you,
0: that's another thing.
1: You were you yeah. you documented the night. Oh yeah. Very well. Did you have video too?
0: Yes. So there. Okay. One one lady was a fil- uh, was a filmographer, and the other lady was taking photography. So the filmographer that was actually like the fourth time she had been recording me over the last two weeks. So we're putting together a promo video that should come out in the next week or so, and. Maybe week or two. That's gonna help me promote. Now I could give out some more secrets right here. I've got a lot of connections overseas in like Asia and Europe, and I'm gonna translate them and put captions on the, on the promo promo, uh, the promo video, and have my friends in those places. You know, try to promote it over there as well. Cause I'm trying to I'm trying to tour in- internationally, just and not not just nationally.
1: And you know? I forgot to bring this up um, really quick. You won a competition overseas.
0: What, what? I didn't win it, but I came oh, in second place. Oh, man, I didn't know that. Well, yeah. still, you made a lot of noise. I mean, second place still makes a lot of noise. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: What, what was the competition? So
0: there was actually a competition before that that I did here actually at the Jazz Showcase Did as that well. lead to you going overseas? That led to me going over there because okay. I found out about that other one through that one. Okay. So the guy who I took second place in that competition, too, that was uh, thrown by the Kyleworth Saxophone Company. They call it saxophone idol, you know, and the guy who won that competition that year, a great tenor player originally from Poland who lives in the UK right now. His name's Krzysztof Urbanski. He um, he told me he won the competition that year. But prior, you know, when we were rehearsing with the band before the competition, he was like, hey, man, he told me and the other guy, he's like, you guys should sign up for this competition in Taiwan. I just won it last year. So I think they're doing the second one this year, you know sign up and you know, see if you can go over there one thing about that again This is another investment thing where you know You have to think about this in the future and save money to do things like this I had to front my costs all the way over there. So not only was that a Great opportunity, but it was like I was had some extra pressure on me because I wanted to make sure I could at least cover the costs with any prize money I would get so you know um. So once Chris told me about that I kept an eye out and signed up for that competition and man that was my first time in Asia it was incredible experience in Taiwan in Taichung City actually and um yeah it's thrown by the Taichung City government and they it's a great competition I, I recommend it to every saxophonist out there
1: and so now so. you now you have connections
0: in Asia yep and, and the thing, with with my businessman mentality I was seeking out the people I wasn't just there to, to play a competition. My idea was when my CD comes out, whenever the CD comes out, I want to come back over here and perform and bring the music to a whole other audience that's that's on the other side of the world. And right. so my my idea was to seek out and get business cards and contacts from the people who booked the Tai uh Jazz Festival, which was actually a completely separate thing from the competition. So I, you know, luckily for me, I had Chris, and Chris, you know, said, hey, man, I'm going to go hang out with the guy who books the Taichung Jazz Festival. Feel free to come by the bar or this. You know, he he's... Chris is a really, really nice guy in that sense. You know, he's very... He looks out for his fellow, you know, artists and fellow people. And you, you sometimes... I, I feel like that type of mentality is slowly going away. But sometimes you find people who are very standoffish and they don't want to let their secrets out and stuff like this. But, I mean, and my stance on that is... You can give them all the secrets in the world, but if they don't put the work in, then they'll they'll just be little secrets and dreams in their mind that they never got to work out. So you can tell me everything, but it, at that point, it's then on me to go and pursue the Tai Chung Booker and pursue the right. saxophone company that I met over there, who gave me a saxophone actually when I was on the way back to pursue them and say, "Hey, let's set up a show at your factory or something." You know, it's it's on me then to to yeah. forward my career if I want to. So. That was a great opportunity, actually. Now, Anywhere. how can people get in touch with you? Um, I've got a Facebook page. So that's com slash Rajiv Haleem. And then uh, my Twitter handle is at Rajiv Haleem. Instagram handle at Rajiv halim. I've got a website, which is uh, com. So that's M-I-L-A-H productions.com, which is my production company, which actually we're in the plans of starting to produce concerts as well. So, yeah. So th- my email list is on the website. You can sign up there. Um, Pretty much made made everything pretty easy to, to find. If you just type my name into Google, I don't know if there's any other Rajiv Halims in the world, but everything, as soon as you type my name in there, everything comes up for me. So,
1: Rajiv, you've been great. You've given us so much information, and I think I'm going to stop right here. Take it easy, man.
0: Thank you, man. You too.
1: All right, we want to get this recap in, as we like to do, and one lesson that I'd like to point out is this there was a catalyst for Rajiv. It was a phone call and this locked him into the performance of the Chicago jazz festival. And it was that phone call that was the, the catalyst for him to say enough procrastination. This record is going to get done now. So the lesson is in your procrastination, you have something creative inside of you that people need to hear. Or people need to experience it might not be a recording but it's, it's something people need to experience go ahead and let go of it stop procrastinating lesson number two is that you need to ask for help rajiv had a friend rajiv's father had a friend that was willing to help he allowed that person to help him so let that be a lesson to you uh go ahead and allow people to help you and finally Uh, Rajiv used constant contact for his email service. Now you can use whatever uh, different provider you choose, but the point is collect email addresses and uh, use it to to your advantage. And on that note, go to behindthenote.com. You can sign up for our email list and get tips for a successful music career and keep abreast of what's coming next. And we're going to leave you with that. Thank you for pressing play. And God bless you until the next episode.